Let's take a little time and talk now about the state that we are living in. Political, spiritual, maybe some life. While you are listening to Phyllis Favor. Take a minute, turn the radio up. Take a seat in the pastor's office. Pastor Jonathan Mason. Uh, it is the first Sunday in February. Uh, as always, I pray that you were a part of someone's worship service today. Uh, I pray that you were giving God praise today for what He's done in your life, uh, whether virtually or in person. Uh, it is my prayer uh, that you spent time in worship today and every day. I want to tell you a story. It's a true story. I want you to know this is legit. When I was in elementary school, in junior high school, I was deemed incorrigible. I was told that I would be unable to get a job, unable to go to college uh, because of my behavior and because of my attitude. Now, let me be very clear. I never stole anything. Uh, I never committed any crime. But I had a mouth on me. And I was a larger-than-average child. So I fought all the time, because when you're larger than all the other kids, you, you never get, in, in my day, you never got into a fight with one. You got into a fight with many at the same time. Uh, and then, too... Uh, because I was somewhat intelligent, I guess I was intelligent, you know, some of the things that I saw, I would call out if I thought a teacher wasn't being fair, uh, if I thought there was a cert- there were certain inequities, I'd talk about it. I'd speak about it. Uh, and guess what? That landed me right in the principal's office. It landed me right in detention. And then when I had too many detentions, it landed me in suspension. This is real talk, y'all. Listen. There were a couple years during my junior high school career, and remember, there's 182 days in the school year. I had about 220, 230 detentions. That means I was coming to school in the morning to serve detention. I was serving detention at lunch. I was serving detention after school. I was in detention so much that I had my own seat. They told me I wouldn't be able to go to college they boxed me in they typecast me they said he'll be doing some blue collar work for the rest of his life and we just pray he stays out of jail but I'm so thankful to God that when they thought they wrote my story and closed the book on me that God opened the book back up and decided to keep writing and today I sit here as not just a college graduate, but a master degree, a master degreed 
graduate. I stand here today as a business owner, as a father, as a pastor of a church. Don't tell me what God won't do for you if you do right by him. But can I tell you, you say, Pastor, why are you sharing this story today? Because it all started with me finding a mentor. There was a vice principal in my junior high school that decided what the guidance counselor said, what the other vice principal said, what the principal said. He decided that what they said was not legit. He decided that I could be more. And so here's what he did. He called me in his office one day. I wasn't even, he wasn't even assigned to me. He said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to start exchanging Bible verses every day. He said, I'm going to give you a Bible verse. You go study it, and you come back, and you tell me what that verse was about. And then he says, then you give me one, I'll do the same thing. We did that for a whole school year. And, and, and when I would still get in trouble, because remember, remember, Things don't all happen at once. This this is a work in progress. I think most of you still recognize you're a work in progress. I'm still a work in progress. But even when I would stumble and fall, he was right there to reach out his hand and pick me up, correct me, but also remind me that I can do great things. I had the opportunity to reconnect with that mentor just a couple months ago. And I'll share his name. He was vice principal of Abington Junior High School, John Worthington. I'll never forget Mr. Worthington. He made an impact on my life. He helped change the trajectory of my life. And for that, I will forever be grateful. If you haven't figured it out yet, I want to talk about mentorship today. I want to talk about the importance of mentoring our young people. A lot of times on the show, we talk about the violence that has gripped our communities. We talk about uh, gun violence. We talk about drugs and crime. But, 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 but the one thing that we always come back to is that we've got to meet these young people where they are. And we've got to help lift them up. I'm not talking about point a finger at them. I'm not talking about make them feel bad about their circumstance, but lift them up and encourage them so that they know that they can have a seat at the table of success. I was reading an article the other day about an organization called We Rain. They're out of North Philadelphia. They've been in operation for five years. They have mentored over 500 children. I wanted you to hear their story today. I wanted to learn more about this story because they have invested, made a commitment to be an encouragement to the young people in our community. I wanted to bring in Dr. Tawana Jones Morrison to the pastor's office to talk to us about her program, We Reign. Dr. Jones Morrison, thank you first for sitting through that long story, but I felt it was necessary. But but we're here now to you. Welcome to the pastor's office. Thank you. That was an amazing story. I was I was glad I got to hear it. 
Well, well, listen, I, I, again, I, I thank you for taking time to talk to us today. Uh, I thank you for clearing out your schedule because this is an important conversation uh, uh, for us to have. Uh, as a matter of fact, you're an educator. Uh, as a matter yeah. of fact, you're, you, 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 school psychology is in your background, and, and, and I'm sure you can attest to the fact, and this used to irritate me when I was a kid because I knew about this, but it was nothing I could do about it. Sometimes these teachers get into the, the teacher's lounge, and they talk about certain children, and, and those children, whether they know it or not, go on to a list to be looked out for. Not looked out for as in to be cared for, but look out for this kid because this kid is trouble. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, am I right or am I wrong? Was I imagining that when I was coming up in school, or does that really happen? No, you weren't imagining that. That definitely, definitely does happen um, in some teachers' lounges, you know, across the city of Philadelphia and across the country. You know, people sometimes people lean into the things that they don't like as opposed to figuring out how to nurture the things that they would would appreciate seeing or know would help a child to grow into them full selves. Absolutely. You didn't make that up. And and children feel the energy. That's Definitely right. Definitely feel the energy. There you go. You feel the energy. You feel the looks. Uh, uh, you feel the cold shoulders. You feel it all. Well, well look, you decided that 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 you wanted to make a difference outside of the walls of the school and that you wanted to, especially for our black girls, create an opportunity for them to be mentored and to be developed and to learn things that they otherwise wouldn't learn. Tell us a little bit about We Rain and, and how you started it. Yeah, uh, thank you. Again, thank you so much for having me today because this is, one, it was a surprise, but yes, the work that we have been doing to center um, Black Girls and Rain actually stands for Rooting, Empowering, and Inspiring a Girls Nation. And um, the way we got started is really simple. You know, I saw that there was a need. Working in schools, as you pointed out, working in the school district of Philadelphia for, for 20 years, and always found myself having this informal group of girls that I was working with, you know, coming to my classroom when I was a teacher, coming to my office when I was a school psychologist, and just looking for exactly what you said, encouragement and support. Uh, Someone who knows that young people get into things, mischievous things, but that that's all part of the growing process, right? And just needing someone to guide them through that because nobody is a young person who has never gone astray, just a, just a little. And our work really was focusing on this void because so many people often, there's this assumption that black girls are, they're fine. You know, when we talk about her, you mentioned talking about the violence in the community. And a lot of times when we talk about violence in the community, just like those teachers in the lunchroom, we do a, we have a beeline to who we're talking about, and we're also talking about our black males, you know, young black men, young young black boys. And the reality is that what I was learning through my doctoral work is that young black girls are also having these same experiences, but they're just manifesting those things differently in the community or in school or in the home. And trying to figure out how we could be that stopgap and what we could do to support them became 
what We Rain was really about, you know. So our very first program was called Love Yourself at a middle school. Um, and we just, we've been trying to create a space where black girls feel safe, where they can have a space, people to talk about what's going on with them. And, and that really blossomed into this programming where we focus on advocacy, activism, and organizing for the community, but recognizing that advocacy, activism, and organizing starts for yourself first. One of the things that I always talk about when we discuss mentorship uh, is that if you really want the young people to buy in, uh, if you really want them to be engaged, you can't come at it from a position of uh, I'm up here and you're down here. You really have to meet the young people where they are. You've got to know what they're dealing with. And and, and, and the young people today uh, are dealing with so many things that folks from my generation, I'm 49, never had to deal with. I never had to deal with cyberbullying. I dealt with bullying physically, face-to-face in the school, but I never had to deal with somebody sliding into my DMs and making fun of me or, or putting up posts on, uh, that thousands of people could see. You know, and then, too, I could walk back and forth to school safely you know, with no issues. The worst thing that would happen is we got into fistfights. You know, these young people are going back in school today trying to avoid bullets, trying to avoid the violence that's in their community. Talk to me about how you and your team at we rain meet the young people where they are to first even get them to engage with you and trust you first of all it's scary you know what you just said the fact that there are so many things that our young people are dealing with that people your age my age i'm i'm 46 never dealt with and and what we try to do first is connect at that emotional human level you know we don't show up with the program we allow the conversation, we show up with the program, but we allow the conversation to go where the conversation needs to go. And when I say that, what I'm talking about is giving our young people the opportunity to explore their emotions, right? Which is something that when you are scared, when you when you got cyber bullying going on, when you're scared to walk to school, when there's bullets and, and your classmates are being killed, some of that conversation gets bottled up and lost because in many situations, adults want to just move on to the next thing. And we've created a space where we don't have to move on to the next thing. We can talk, we will talk to you about what is going on right now. And so we went to young people. We go to young people and say, hey, if we're in a school, we're here talking about love yourself. But you know what we start with? What does love yourself mean to you? Right. Right. We give them the power to control the conversation, control the dialogue. And even in our internships, where we have a, a We Speak series of internships where we focus on reproductive justice and gender justice, no girl is locked into a specific topic. Once you understand what gender justice is, tell us about an issue that you want to work on that impacts you and your everyday life, you know. And we've had girls go talk about maternal mortality, talk about domestic violence, talk about mental health, because we allow each girl to hone in on on where they see a need and it becomes so personal to them. And they come back repeatedly to participate and they say it feels like a family, you know, because they know we care first about what's going on with them. 
You're listening to Philly's Favorite 100.7 FM, 99.5 HD3. We are here Sunday afternoon in the pastor's office talking to Dr. Tawana Jones-Morrison, who is the the lead, the founder, the creator of We Reign, uh, a youth mentoring program focused on our young black queens, our young black girls. And, and we're so glad to have you here in the pastor's office. Uh, uh, real quick, one of the interesting things I saw about your program is that, that your programming is really geared towards community organizing and activism. So once you have them, you kind of direct them to that area. Why did you feel that was important? So as a school psychologist, uh, first of all, organizing for your community is is therapeutic in many ways. Um, It gives you an outlet to do something about an issue that is impacting your life. And what we really want girls to know, black girls to know, is that they are powerful. You know, people power is what really drives what goes on in communities. And we know that to be true. We know the communities that call their city council person or the the person who complains about the trash pickup, that's where the services are directed. People who vote, right? That's how you get that buy-in from the people who make decisions about your life, service, your community. And so we wanted girls to know that that power is within them. That's cathartic to know that you can have that, that, that you are in control of that. It's therapeutic for some, the opportunity to, to speak up, to speak out, use creativity, poetry, music, art. We are giving, creating the space for them to dive into their power once you recognize your power, you are moving out of hopelessness into hopefulness, you know. And this fall, when we, we had a young lady who spearheaded Black Youth March for Our Lives, based solely on the fact that the community that, that she lived in was being hit so hard by gun violence, young people dying, and this was something that really sat, sat in her spirit. She said, "We, I want to, I want to do a march. I want to give the opportunity for young people's voices to be heard because often in that gun violence community conversation, we know who's talking: adults, people who never, who don't know anybody who was involved in using guns. Um, so we know that by organizing, you can not only heal yourself, but you can also help to heal your community, and that's what we're looking for. We're looking for." young people who have the opportunity to engage in healing practices, and we see community organizing as a healing practice. Dr. Jones-Morrison, uh, you just celebrated five years. Um, one of the things that, that that I really enjoy is looking at young people who've come through my church. We also have a nonprofit called Camp New Joy, uh, an away camp for at-risk youth down in Rustburg, Virginia, on 23 acres of land. Uh, and, and one thing I enjoy doing is, is really looking at young people and seeing the difference uh, as they've grown and matured. Uh, uh, we call it success stories, you know, the kids that have mm-hmm. broken through, the kids that have, have really embraced the message that we're trying to deliver along with others in their lives and have decided to really take hold of their life and, and make it a positive experience. I mean, you don't have to give names, but talk to us about some of the success stories that you've seen uh, over your five years uh, of We Reign. You know, we have seen... Our, our primary success that I that I 
focus on is watching our girls grow emotional and emotionally well young people going from starting off telling us when they first came to us in 10th grade asking for help was something that made them feel ashamed and embarrassed but now believing that they have a network here and we reign where something is happening or something is going wrong in their lives or they need some encouragement they feel comfortable enough to say hey i need help with this and that is growth right to listen to our young people who are going who are going into our schools some of the best schools in the city and we look at their writing and the skill and you know what they're turning in and we're thinking to ourselves oh my gosh this this young person needs these skills in order to move forward in life right because for me writing is the new the new reading because if you can't write everything every communication is in writing now so if you're struggling to write you're going to be struggling to be successful and to see them go from getting D's and F's on their papers to working with us to develop policy papers and um, use paraphrasing, and they go from getting a D to an A. We have one young lady who she graduated from our program from high school and went off to Spelman. And in her second week at Spelman, she texted us and said, everything that you taught us, I am now needing to do here at this university. Wow. Those are That's powerful the blessing right there. changes. And to think to yourself that this two hours a day, one time a week that they're spending with us builds their emotional health, builds their um, academic and cognitive skills, but also positions them to feel good about their success and want to celebrate it. Um, we have had so many girls come back and work with us, volunteer or work as a facilitator. And that just shows us that they are, and when we, when we end with each other, we, I love you, you know, is what we say. You find the, you just find a girl saying, Hey, I love, I love you at the end of a call or at the end of a program. And to watch gr- black girls connecting with each other, right. Building a network with each other. So powerful. So powerful. Wow. Yeah, no, and and fulfilling, you know, to to be able to see these young people grow and develop. So listen, let's let's talk logistics. One thing I know about a nonprofit, one is that there's always uh, contributions, donations are always welcome to keep the work alive, but also volunteers, uh, and then and then also being able to share with the community how to engage with the program. So let's spend the balance of our time together kind of talking about those areas. One, how does one engage a youth with We Rain? Uh, you know, how can how can one volunteer to be a part of it? And then how can somebody contribute or donate to We Rain? Oh my, yes. Thank you. Thank you for asking. So what we really ask for people to do is to send black girls that they know our way. Most of our programming is virtual right now and which gives us the opportunity, a unique opportunity to do programming citywide and here in Philadelphia. Um, so if you know a black girl who's interested, we our programming serves girls from fifth grade through 12th grade, send them our way, share our Facebook page. We reign Instagram, we're, we're always posting about the programs that we have coming up. And one of the hard things, actually, which might be hard to believe for some, 
is getting to capacity with, with the girls that we can service. We service over 500 girls in five years, but it's so hard to find them. So if we can have people send black girls our way, that would be tremendous for us. And then engaging with those girls. So we are often doing Facebook lives and um, Instagram lives where girls are sharing about what they're learning about gender justice, doing, you know, community programming, community education, hop in and come and talk to them because it's so important that young people have adults to talk to and adults, not just talk at, but talk with who will listen. And so we're always inviting community members to join us in, in that way, because that is actually what helps us to build momentum and helps us to ensure that, that girls are comfortable when they go out into the world, interviewing, going on college campuses, looking for a job, even talking to their own family members, which, you know, is something that can be really difficult in arming them with knowledge. It's so important to have other community members um, encouraging that and supporting that. And definitely, we always need the mighty dollar. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we can you can donate to us on Facebook, but we have a Mighty Cause. If, if you go, Mighty Cause is a platform, a, do, a fundraising platform, that we use, you can just go to Mighty Calls and look for We Rain and donate there. But you can always shoot us a DM on Instagram, email, and we will share information with you um, about how to get in contact with us, who we are, what we're doing, and how how people can volunteer and support us. We are we love that face to face contact, but right now that one on one on Zoom on the phone contact is what we're going for. All right, so I just want to be clear. Uh, we Rain, W E R E I G N. Uh, you, lo- you type that in on Facebook, type it in on Instagram, and they'll find you there. Correct? Absolutely. And then, and then the donation platform. Give that again, one more time. It's called Mighty, like strong, Mighty Cause, and it's it's an online platform as well. Type, same thing. You type in We Rain. And you will, and we rain will pop up. You'll see a Philadelphia-based organization there, and you can give us donations there or through our Facebook platform, which is always taking um, donations. All right, Philly's favorite listeners. Let's engage with We Rain. Uh, your young black queens, let's get them engaged with We Rain. Most of the outreach right now is virtual, so it can be anywhere in the city. Look them up on Facebook. Look them up on Instagram. Uh, uh, go and donate and support them, but bring them young people that can be blessed. Dr. Tawana jones Morrison, thank you so much for joining us in the pastor's office, and we look forward to talking to you again real, real soon. Yes, thank you so much. Love the pastor's office. I'm going to have visited. All right, all right. Be blessed. Talk to you soon. Thank you. You too. Philly's favorite listeners, don't you dare leave your radio dial or leave the app. We'll be right back after these commercial messages. Hey, Philly's favorite listeners, welcome back to the pastor's office. And I just want to take this opportunity to thank Dr. Tawana Jones-Morrison for joining us in our first segment uh, to talk about We Rain. And again, we've given you all the information. It'll be on our social media platforms. Let's do what we can to engage uh, in this great program that celebrates our young women of color, our young black queens. They need mentorship, and We Reign is delivering uh, that mentorship all throughout Philadelphia. But listen, I, I got to share something with you. First of all, let me let me reveal something to you. 
I'm a man. I, I don't know if you all knew that or not, but, but Pastor Mason is a man. And there are certain things I just don't know about. There are certain things I, I don't necessarily understand because I'll never experience certain things. Uh, and, and, and the reason I share that with you is because I was doing some research on maternal mortality. Did you know that there's a maternal mortality crisis in Pennsylvania? Listen to these stats. One in 10,000 birthing people, including one in 5,000 black birthing people, are dying after childbirth. A couple more facts. 58% of those deaths occur between 42 and 365 days of delivery. This is something you may not have known about. It certainly was something I didn't know about. But as I did my research, I found out that there's somebody up in Harrisburg that's doing a lot of work in this area. There's somebody up in Harrisburg that's advocating heavily uh, to make sure that, that birthing people have coverage, to make sure that the coverage includes all aspects of health care. And so I reached out and I asked her to come and talk to us today and give us an education on this situation. So I want to welcome into the pastor's office for the first time, State Representative Morgan Cephas. State Representative, welcome into the pastor's office. Hi, how are you? Thank you so much for having me. Well, listen, we're excited to have you, and I, I will pull the I will pull the the uh, the, the the cover off of uh, what happens behind the scenes. We talked before we came on air. Uh, <laughs> I found out you were a member of the Great Delta Sigma uh, Theta Sorority Incorporated, and 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 I always tell my my, my members I'm a proud Phi Beta Sigma man. Uh, but guess what? We all are a part of the Divine Nine, doing a great work out there, but I was great to see that you were a part of that wonderful organization. I love it. Yes, we are all uh, brothers and sisters in Greekdom. So, you know, I thank you for, you know, just acknowledging, you know, the amazing work that all fraternities and sororities are doing across the Divine Nine. Um, but yeah, I've been a, a member of Delta Sigma Theta almost going on about 15 years now. And you know, we are constantly on the front line, like so many of you, just on the front line of um, doing a lot of social justice work. And, you know, now um, we're in a moment in this country where our voices, our work, our activism is needed now more than ever. And I think, you know, our each of our founders have, you know, set and created a, a, a legacy and a foundation in this country for these type of organizations. And it is up to us to continue that legacy. And so many of us are, like yourself, at um, different tables, um, moving our legacy and our communities forward. Well, I will tell you, I had the great honor when I was international president of Phi Beta Sigma of serving with uh, Dr. Paulette C. Walker, uh, who was my buddy and my great friend. And uh, I just I just love her to death. But I would be remiss if I did not also say before we get into the topic uh, that we are going to discuss today that I certainly want to offer my condolences uh, on the passing of your national president just a couple weeks ago, Dr. Cheryl Hickman. As a matter of fact, she just came into office this past summer. Uh, great yeah. Delta Sigma Theta lady. So we certainly want to offer you our condolences. There. Yes, and I appreciate that. Um, you know, many of our uh, my sorority sisters and you know many members 
you know, across the divine nine are, you know, really mourning the passing of, you know, our president. And, you know, I just thank you for, you know, acknowledging her, acknowledging the amazing work that she's done for the organization. And we will never, you know, forget her, her legacy and the foundation that she's made for this sorority. Absolutely. Well, listen, again, thank you for coming in. And, and I really want to talk about uh, maternal mortality. Uh, uh, first of all, tell me, how did this become something that, that got your attention uh, uh, to cause you, because you're working on so many bills related to it. Just tell us how, how, just tell us how this came to your attention and why it became something that was important for you to work on. Absolutely. And I, I, I really appreciate that question. I, I always want to tell the story as to how I got here, because one of the one of the interesting things about being an elected official is that, you know, we, we come into office, this is my third term, and we come into office, you know, just assuming that, you know, we're going to take up issues that we think are, you know, the most important, you know, coming from our communities and coming from, you know, our, our backgrounds, you know, we, we have an idea of, you know, what our top priorities are. But then once you become elected and you realize that they're, there are a significant number of issues, especially in the General Assembly, that we need to tackle. You realize that when there is almost like a gap um, or a space that, you know, there's not a lot of conversation about, you you look at that issue as an opportunity to, you know, elevate that conversation just because there there isn't much advocacy, you know, happening in the space. And that's really what, um, that's really how I got to maternal mortality. So if you remember um, some time ago, there was the Time Magazine article that featured a series of birthing people that had gone through maternal mortality issues, but then also maternal morbidity. And uh, there was a expose done with Serena Williams that really elevated this conversation. And, you know, to be honest, it was it's a silent crisis that's happening across uh, not just Pennsylvania, but across the country. And I was at a roundtable discussion with um, one of our U.S. senators. And we were you talking to a group of black women throughout Philadelphia from, you know, various economic backgrounds, educational backgrounds, and, you know, work in different sectors. And one of the questions that came up was, you know, given the Serena Williams expose and the Time magazine article, what is Pennsylvania doing about maternal mortality? And I honestly I couldn't think of, you know, uh, uh, an answer because I didn't know much about it. Um, uh-huh. And I had to be honest with that young woman and tell her, you know, let me look into this a little bit more. And, uh, you know, once I did and I realized, you know, the statistics that, you know, you're talking about, um, the national statistics are just as abysmal in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. So when we're talking about, you know, nationally, we're seeing 700 deaths a year related to um, this issue here in Pennsylvania, we've seen, um, you mentioned it earlier, we've seen a 21% increase in pregnancy-related deaths uh, between 2013 and 2018. And, uh, you know, what's even, you know, more challenging is that you have Black uh, pregnant people representing 14% of the births in Pennsylvania, but 23% of the deaths. Wow. So, you know, we do have a tragic situation here in the Commonwealth, uh, again, and it's reflecting what's happened nationally. So because of that roundtable, because of that question from that young woman, um, 
And when you look at the statistics, you see that we, you know, we need a champion in this space. And, you know, what brought it home even more was I had a constituent, um, uh, Latasha Gilmore, who had just passed away when I started learning more about the conversation. And she was about 34 at that time. I think I was 35. And she left behind uh, a new baby girl and a son. And literally the woman lived in the community that I lived in. And I had no clue that this was happening in my own backyard. So Mm. that's really what brought me to the issue. And, you know, I'm really excited about, you know, talking about today a lot of the movement that we've been able to make and how we've been able to elevate the conversation by, you know, having discussions like this, because it is a difficult issue to, to wrap your mind around. And there's no, and we'll talk about this more, I'm sure, there's no one thing that we can do to, you know, improve, you know, this issue. But, you know, we're working on it. So so here's the thing, you know, and, and I have two sons. I, I, I joke with my wife that, you know, you, you were you were angry before they were born and you were angry afterwards. <laughs> but 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 in reality, in reality, there's a thing called postpartum. Uh, oh, uh, that does affect mothers uh, after the child is born. Uh, uh, how does that play into this, you know, these deaths? How does, uh, uh, what right. I'm interested in understanding is how do these deaths occur? What, what, what is causing them? Right, right. So, I mean, that's a, that's a great question. Um, so some of the leading causes of the deaths um, are around uh, cardiovascular conditions, um, severe bleeding, high blood pressure. Um, there's, you know, an issue called preeclampsia that occurs during the pregnancy as well as afterwards. And, you know, you mentioned um, the time period during postpartum, which is, you know, up to a year. Well, it used to, the conversation used to be up to 60 days, but, you know, given what is occurring and that we're losing the majority of our birthing people during this time period, um, we've begun to have the conversation about not it just being 60 days after giving birth, but up to a year. So just to your point about, um, and the CDC reports this, and again, this is um, what's happening across the country, but it also is reflected here in Pennsylvania that 51% of the deaths that occur that are pregnancy-related are during the postpartum period. And here, I mean, it's different, you know, throughout the country, what are some of the leading causes and you know, like, so for example, um, severe bleeding is something that the hospitals across the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania have been able to come up with innovative strategies to, you know, really figure out. So, you know, that's not necessarily our leading cause. Um, you know, one of the leading causes is um, accidental uh, poisoning, which is, you know, drug overdose. Um, and when, you know, you're going through the postpartum period, you, you have a lot, there's a lot of pressure on you. And, you know, just having seeing that statistic begin to skyrocket, not just in Philadelphia, but again, across the Commonwealth, it's something that we have to pay attention to. So there's, again, multiple causes that relate to these deaths. And, you know, it's going to take a multifaceted approach to really address the issue. And as you as you shared earlier, it disproportionately affects uh, yeah. women of color. Why don't, right. why don't we talk a little bit about why that's the case? Absolutely. So I think um, it really comes, it really goes back to the idea of racism across, you know, a lot of the structures that we have in our society. And it doesn't just, you know, stop in the workplace, but, you know, it it is in our healthcare system. So when we're talking about health equity 
and having access to adequate, affordable health care, we know that's a challenge not just for Black women, but communities of color. And, you know, a prominent example of that is what we just gone, what we just have gone through with COVID-19. And, you know, you see black communities not being able to access the vaccine or not being able to um, access any testing or not having primary. You remember at the beginning, you needed to have a primary care physician to even get access to any of these, um, any of these, you know, vaccines or testing and, you know, we don't always have access to uh, a physician or you had to, you know, here in Philadelphia, when they were um, opening up vaccine sites, you had to travel down to center city. So, you know, it's almost like imagine, um, imagine a single mother needing to get on public transportation, but also uh, remain safe from COVID and, you know, ensure that they have adequate access to childcare. So it really comes down to the, the lack of equity that we have in our healthcare system or just in our society, period, when it comes to black and brown communities. Yeah. Because when you talk about health equity, it's not just about your access to uh, a hospital. It's your access, it's your ability to access fresh food. It's your ability to access adequate transportation, your ability to have a family sustaining wage to even be able to afford your ability to get to uh, a healthcare facility. So it's it's a lot of how our society is structured and not structured in a way to, again, support black and brown people and communities in general. But if you just add, you know, in someone being pregnant as, you know, an additional um, an additional variable, when you already have systems that are set up to not work for us. So I think, you know, it's not, again, I'm going to continue to say that it's not you know, one single thing, it's, you know, a, it's a society, it's a system that has not prioritized black and brown communities and ensuring that they have access to live quality, quality lives. And I don't mean to interrupt you, but, but you said something, you said systems not set up for us. And, and right. as I listen to you talk about uh, some of the reasons why maternal uh, mortality affects uh, black and brown women disproportionately, I could I could put the police commissioner here, uh, and and she would be saying the same thing about why gun violence affects our community uh, right. disproportionately. I could have the mayor here, or both of whom right. have been on the show. They can say this is why uh, small businesses that were owned by people of color were. Sh-. It's it's the same scenarios mm-hmm. that that the system was just not set up for us, uh, right. and and so we suffer from that. So now let's right. so now we've identified the issue. We've identified the problem. Uh, We've identified some of the causes of maternal mortality. Talk to me now that because you've definitely become one of the champions of this cause. Talk to me about how we're working uh, to create pathways to reduce these percentages uh, and allow birthing people to be able to one, be covered, and, and secondly, to make sure that that they don't suffer these issues as they go through that 365 day period. Right, right. So the great thing is that this hasn't just become an issue um, that I've been elevating. It's been elevated. It's been elevated nationally. You know, thank goodness we had the opportunity of you know having Vice President 
Kamala Harris as, you know, a champion in this issue when she served in the Senate. It now has become a priority of this Biden administration. And, you know, it really shows how much, again, of a national conversation this has become. Because even with the American Rescue Plan, um, there was money put into that plan to help expand Medicaid. As you stated earlier, significant, I want to say it's a little over um, 50% of um, birthing people here in Pennsylvania were on Medicaid that had passed away. So, you know, to be able to extend Medicaid up to a year postpartum is one of the one of the biggest wins that advocates that have been in this space for some time. I'm mind you again, I've only been in it about two or three years, but you know, advocates have been advocating for this issue for a very long time. And, you know, I introduced legislation to extend Medicaid, but now Pennsylvania just has to opt in um, to do the extension. And we have a governor and uh, and a secretary, Meg Sneed, who has had her own experiences with not maternal mortality, thank God, but maternal morbidity, where, you know, you're having, you might not pass away from um, giving birth or during the postpartum period, but you might have, you know, challenges that are lifelong effects to one's body as a as a result of giving birth. But because she's had her own lived experience, like so many of us have, um, Pennsylvania, we didn't even have to twist any arms or pass legislation to get the Medicaid extension um, for Pennsylvania to opt in. So that's a, a big win that we've been able to work on. And what it does is um, originally, if you were if you were able to qualify for Medicaid, it was only up to 60 days after um only up to 60 days after after you have given birth. And if you can just imagine, well, I'm, I'm sure you can't imagine, but, you know, imagine your wife having to navigate, you know, having a baby, potentially having to go back to work, potentially dealing with postpartum depression, having to go to the doctor's visits, and, and then have to um, go into the exchange if she no longer is covered under Medicaid. And you only have 60 days to stay on Medicaid, and then you have to go into the exchange to try to figure it out. So just imagine a mother having to deal with that and all of the things that come with living in an urban setting. So what this will do is it'll keep an individual on Medicaid, again, up to up to the year. So it covers that full fourth trimester. So that's a big win that we've gotten. Another piece that's really important is that we really have to focus on expanding the um, – expanding the healthcare workforce, the um, perinatal workforce. So right now, of course, we, you know, have, you know, doctors, we have nurses, but then we also, there's an, also an opportunity for us to um, include and certify doulas as well as um, different types of midwives. One of the things that you saw during the pandemic is that a lot of a lot of the birthing people, as you can imagine, were extremely nervous to go into the hospital systems because, you know, one, this issue had been elevated already, and two, you had the added pressures of COVID. There were so many additional restrictions added to hospitals to where you only could bring in, you know, one person. So it's you're either picking your partner or picking a family member or possibly picking a doula. And, uh, you know, because of those challenges, a lot of um, a lot of birthing people were interested in having out-of-hospital births. And, you know, that goes into a realm where there are a series of doulas, again, and midwives. But then because they're not certified and they're – because they're not certified, they're not reimbursed. So, you know, it really makes it challenging 
for birthing people that want different options um, to not be able to access them because, you know, we're behind the times here in the Commonwealth. And, you know, you also saw, you know, Hahnemann close and you see a lot of birthing centers, uh, birthing hospitals closing, um, I mean, due to rising costs and things like that. So it's forcing birthing people to look at other options. So that's why that's one of the reasons why we really need to focus on certifying and expanding the perinatal workforce. And we're we're actually doing that. So the the governor, again, under the leadership of Secretary Sneeks, I believe her her sister had a doula. My sister, I convinced my younger sister to get a doula. Um, they are now moving forward, similar to the Medicaid extension. They're moving forward with um, certifying doulas and midwives. Um, so that's really exciting because, again, you know, a doula is a you know a trusted you know individual with that birthing person while they're they're their advocate when you know they're in the hospital. Like they know they've been with this birthing person um, throughout their pregnancy, so they know when they're having a bad day. They know if you know things just kind of seem off. They're able to advocate for them while the individual is um, in the process of giving birth. So those are the two main things that we've successfully been able to move and get done here in the Commonwealth. I mean, we have other things, but you know, those are the two things I would just definitely like to uplift. You're listening to Philly's Favor 100.7 FM and 99.5 HD3. We're here in the pastor's office with State Representative Morgan Cephas, and we're talking about maternal mortality today. Uh, and, and you know, I'll say this again. Um, when, when a mother has a baby, you know, the picture that's presented in our minds or the picture we have in our minds is after a few days, the mom goes home with the child, father, and they live happily ever after. But this was really a silent issue of yeah. of what's going on post birth uh, that that there are women actually dying between uh, that period of forty days and three hundred and sixty five days mm-hmm. uh, after yeah. the birth of a child. So I, I'm really glad we've been able to have this conversation. But there's so much more information okay. and 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 watch this so much more engagement that we need from the community uh, mm-hmm. uh, to really Absolutely. understand this. So what I want to end the interview uh, by doing is just share with our listeners where they may be able to go and get additional information about this issue. Because like me, there are probably a lot of people that it just didn't know it was happening. Right, right. Um, so there's a lot of there's a lot of organizations again that have been, you know, really doing this work and that are led by black and brown people. So one one of my partners that I always work with is um the maternity maternity care coalition uh does a lot of work. Um you also have Oshun Family Center, which focuses again on pairing doulas with families. There's there's a ton of organizations in um, in the Philadelphia region as well as out in uh, Western PA and across the Commonwealth that are really doing a lot of great work in this space. Well, listen, we certainly want to thank you for the work that you're doing. Uh, we want to thank you for the light that you're shining on this issue here in Pennsylvania. Uh, and, and we want to thank you for making time to come talk to us today. Uh, and, and I always share with our elected officials, uh, if there's ever an opportunity or if there's ever a time where you want to use our airwaves to get a message across that's going to benefit Philadelphians and Pennsylvanians, we're right here for you, State Representative. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. All right. God bless and be well. You too. Philly's favorite listeners, don't you dare leave your radio dial or leave the app. We'll be right back after these commercial messages. 
Hey, Philly's favorite listeners, I certainly want to thank our guest for being with us today. Uh, but I wanted to come back and, and close today sharing a little story with you. Um, on Tuesday, I was on my way to Philadelphia, uh, and I received a call from my pastor uh, letting me know that one of my dear, dear friends, Felicia Moss Eaton, passed away. Now, you say to yourself, I don't know who Felicia Moss Eaton is, uh, and that may be the case for some of you, but let me tell you who she was. Uh, she was one of the greatest gospel singers you ever would have heard. Uh, she is in the lineage of the Drinkard sisters. Uh, she's in the lineage of Dionne Warwick, the lineage of Sissy Houston, and the lineage of Whitney Houston. Uh, as a matter of fact, Whitney and Felicia were cousins, and Felicia sang backup for Whitney uh, on many of Whitney's tours. Uh, they were reared together at the New Hope Baptist Church of Newark, New Jersey. My father, Reverend Lee Mason Jr., used to do revivals uh, at the New Hope Baptist Church of Newark, New Jersey, and used to tell me uh, when Whitney uh, gained her fame, you know, that he remembers seeing her uh, and her cousin singing in the choir when he would come up and do revivals. That uh, Felicia Moss Eaton was a part of that. Felicia sang all over the country. She sang internationally uh, in Europe, uh, in England, in Switzerland. Uh, and, and, and she just had one of the great voices uh, of a generation. And she's going to be sorely missed. She leaves to cherish her memory, uh, her husband, Joe Eaton, uh, her sons, grandchildren, cousins, friends, and, and, and even in that number, the members of the church I pastor, the Northeast Baptist Church, because Felicia directed our Men and Women's Day Choir on three years, in three different occasions. She used to come to Northeast Baptist uh, every first Sunday when I first started pastoring to help us as we started our journey uh, back in 2015. When we celebrated our 60th anniversary, our banquet where Reverend Al Sharpton uh, was the keynote speaker, Felicia was there as our soloist. I called her the songbird in the sanctuary. We're going to miss Felicia Moss Eaton. And today I find it appropriate to end our show by allowing you to hear a song by Felicia Moss Eaton. We love you, Felicia. Philly's favorite listeners, enjoy this selection, and we'll see you right back here in the pastor's office next Sunday. God bless. About the state that we are living in. Mm. Political, spiritual, maybe some life. While you are listening to Phyllis Faber.